What's up, everybody? You're listening to the 10 After 7 podcast with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson, episode 20. And today we have two great guests for you. First, Kyle Slowey making his fourth appearance on the podcast. You guys know him well. K Slow, what's up, dude? Big Mac is back. What's up, boys? And then we have the Coors Light apologist, Green Bay Packers diehard fan, self proclaimed king of comedy. Ron Clark Jr. How are you doing, man? Oh, doing good, Cody. Good to be here. Great to be here. So today, you talked to me a couple weeks ago, Ron, and said, you know what? When this 30 for 30 drops of Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, long gone summer, that's what I want to talk about. I'm going to say my two cents on it first, and then, Ron, I'll go to you. I think it was a good documentary, not great. I think we have so many documentaries out there these days. So we're very judgmental of what we want from our documentaries. It wasn't informative, but it took us back. We wanted the nostalgia of the 1998 season when we were six years old, right in the mix of things of being baseball players. And we picked a side, McGuire Sosa. So it brought me back to great memories as a kid. And the only thing I have the problem with on this documentary is I wish they could have got McGuire and Sosa in the same room. And I think people would have respected it more. Ron, how, how do you feel? Yeah, no, I, I'm 100% with you on that. You brought up two good points on that. It, was, it wasn't as informative. Um, it wasn't as far as the, the home run race. But, you know, to me, my takeaway was when I watched it two nights ago and I, I just got just these goosebumps when I was watching it. It brought me back to from, you know, the time I was watching it live. It, just, it, it really got me excited to have baseball again, especially in a time right now where we're kind of in a, in a standstill with MLB. But – I was getting really excited with that. And, um, you know, it just, it really uh, was, I thought it was a great documentary as far as a feel good, feel good story. And growing up, growing up, you were a McGuire fan, right? Big Mac all day. Which is crazy because I asked probably 10 people leading up to this documentary, who are you a fan of? And no joke, every single person said Big Mac. And I was a Sosa guy growing up, loved the Cubs because of it. He had so much energy, he was electric running the right field, sprinting out there every single time. He had the two skip home runs. I was shocked. And I know, Kyle, you were a Big Mac guy as well, right? I, For everyone that knows me, I collect memorabilia since an early age. And the first piece of memorabilia I had was a Mark McGuire signed baseball my parents gave me when he hit number 62 against the Cubs. Obviously, I was in the other room playing backyard baseball, so I had no idea what was going on. But the nostalgia just of the documentary kind of brought me back. And there's kids 10 years old you know, that weren't alive during this time. They see Mark McGuire. I don't even know if it's in the record books because of the cheating scandal, but they just see a number and a name. They don't know how hyped that was when Sosa and McGuire were going back-to-back home runs. You make a good point because I think it is in the record books. There's no asterisks next to it, which that's one thing I kind of got mad about while watching this documentary. You see Ken Griffey Jr. He hit 56 home runs that year. That was the most he ever hit in a season. And by all accounts... He was one of the only dudes during that era that didn't juice. So I took a step back, and I know a lot of Griffey fans. I know, Griffey, you were probably one of the biggest Griffey fans. My brother was. I was, obviously, prettiest swing in baseball. And think about how he would be viewed if he maybe, I don't want to say maybe took the steroids because I respect him because he didn't, but he had 56 that year. Griffey's probably viewed in a much different matter 
if these guys weren't on steroids and he was at 56 coming close to Roger Maris's record, right? Yeah, I mean, the question is, would they have been, even been close? You know, how, how much do the steroids actually affect how far they're hitting it? Obviously, McGuire is like a linebacker. He looks like he definitely benefited, but Sosa is a little bit more lean. He has a big back, so I don't know how much it benefits. You know, it's hard to kind of quantify. Um, the one thing is, like, was it regulated back then? They weren't testing, so I know they do now, but it, it's – I don't even – is it a legit record? Is it in the record books? Who has yeah. the home run record? Is yeah, it, it is. It is. Barry Bonds has the home run record, obviously. He broke it a couple years later. But, Ron, can you point to one moment in that documentary that was your favorite moment? Because there was a few for me. Even if people trash it, there was a couple moments where I was like, damn, that was pretty cool. I don't know. I just what I really liked about it is when when they got to sixty, right, or sixty or sixty, and then sixty one to beat uh, Roger Maris, right. When Big Mac hit that hit that home run to put him over to to get the crown, and then what was it? Two days later, after the Cubs uh, card series, Sosa goes and ties it. I thought, like you know, wow, like that was just uh, unbelievable to to really think of the competition that these guys had throughout the year. And yet Sosa didn't give up at all because like you said, or like I just said, McGuire just got crowned the championship or just got cha- crowned the, the leading home run hitter in all of history. But then two days later, Sosa tied it. So that to me was just the, the, the competitiveness and the drive and, and the not willing to give up uh, part of this was what I really enjoyed. I did, I did think that was pretty awesome because they did have the stat where they pulled up before a commercial started, how many days did Sosa lead at the end of the day? And it was zero. They tied 12 times at the end of play at the end of the day, but zero times Sosa let them. But they show that clip during the Cubs uh, after that series when they played each other, and Sosa passes them. All the scoreboards had it back in the day. Sosa has 66. McGuire has 65. And McGuire thought when he broke Maris's record, I could kind of take a seat now, kind of watch the pressures off, but Sosa said, no way, man, I'm going. And that was super cool to see two guys at the height of really sports at that time taking over and hitting, let's be honest, mammoth shots. They showed Sosa hitting them out of Wrigley Field. Way cooler when you hit them out of Wrigley Field because they go into the streets and there's hundreds of fans chasing after them. Yeah, and the thing is the difference in personalities is one thing I like. Um, Roger Maris, they, did, they had a little clip of him getting interviewed where he was – closing in on the record and how much pressure it brings. And Mark McGuire is having this like almost anxiety attack with all the, you know, the press around him. And on the other hand, Sosa is just living and enjoying it. And then when they put them both in the same room, you kind of see Mark McGuire kind of loosened up. So I think if he didn't have Sammy, it could have been a different story. That's what I'm saying though. This documentary could have been so cool. If 22 years later, you have these guys in the same room. Cause McGuire says during the documentary, I didn't know who Sammy was until he hit 20 home runs in June, which by itself, think about a guy hitting 20 home runs in June in insane. And to be removed from it, if we didn't, because I think the guy, the director of the documentary wanted to just show us how 1998 was, how naive everyone was. We were following this chase, turning on sports center and Dan Patrick even said this week, there was a time where you wouldn't even ask, did the Cubs win? You would ask, did Sosa Homer? That was the number one question. And for that to be the number one question, that's wild during baseball. And, I mean, we haven't experienced anything like that since. But if the, if the director just put them in the same room, like you said, Mark McGuire loosened up a little bit, 
I think it would have been cool to see them together and have them talk this through together. I don't think we were expecting to have them talk about steroids. I don't think they ever will. Sammy at the end said, like you said at the beginning, they weren't regulating it back then. So Sosa doesn't feel like he has to apologize, which all power to him. Why should he apologize? He brought all those fans to Wrigley Field when the Cubs were shit in the late 90s and early 2000s. And he doesn't want to apologize. If they're going to bring him back, bring him back. It should be meet in the middle. Yeah, and what you said at the end there, Cody, if they're going to bring him back, bring him back. I, I thought that the, the, the fact that, that the Cubs organization has not invited Sammy Sosa back, that, that part to me kind of hit home. I mean, the, the things he did for that organization, you know, you can call him a cheater, you can call him whatever you want, but, you know, the things he did for that, that organization should be recognized. That man should be allowed back into that stadium. So absurd that they just (laughs) Sammy Sosa was like the thing of the, you know, of the nineties for the Cubs, you know, obviously they have a little more history winning a world series. Um, past couple years ago recently. Why, why, why why did you guys go to Mark? I feel like, I feel like it wasn't, you're a Mark guy. You're not a Sammy guy, which most things are these days. Like if you're a LeBron guy, you're not a Jordan guy. But I think back then, if you were a Sosa guy, you still had mutual respect for Maguire. I love Sosa, but I also love Maguire. But what what made you guys Maguire fans? I'll start with you, Ron. Maguire is just he was just a specimen. Specimen. When you think home run hitter, Maguire was it. Slowly said it earlier. The guy's like a linebacker, but playing baseball, which was not really seen at that time in '98. I mean, still today, you don't see players that like that. Yasiel Puig is probably. One of the closest things I've seen, but still, Big Mac was a lot bigger than him. You know, and also, can I can I ask you guys a question? How big was his uniform? <laughs> Pretty triple big. X. Yeah. I like triple or quad. It could be it could be bigger than triple X. I swear. He's and large. His his quads and his legs coming out of those baseball pants too. I was just like, geez, dude. The the Cardinals emblem across the uniform looked like lowercase letters on Mark McGuire. It was actually. Like- I have a question for a couple both of you. Um, one of the reasons I was a McGuire fan is I think he was marketed a little bit more than Sammy over here, but the Vortex Mark McGuire red bat. Did you, you guys? Still to this day, the best, the best bat for yeah. a kid. Still to this day. Yeah, I, w- I wasn't as good as you guys growing up, so I probably had one of the shitty bats. Maybe that's why I was shitty. But no, the the uh, it was like the the, the toy foam one. It, it was like filled with air, and you yeah. hit the ball, and you go dong. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did pick him in backyard baseball. So he brought up that recently. I just love the flair from Sosa, and I'm still shocked. I seriously asked ten people. And no one was on my side of being a Sosa fan. I I was growing up. I would not go to Dodger games unless the Cubs were in town and Sammy Sosa was playing. I remember Sammy Sosa going oppo to right field at Dodger Stadium, getting booed. But also back then, we didn't know they were on steroids. So the away crowds cheered just as loud for home runs when those guys hit it. Like they went to Dodger Stadium to see Sammy Sosa play. Yeah, Yeah. Sammy Sosa. Oh, yeah. I mean – Sammy Sosa, the post-home run trot, you know, like going down the first baseline was pretty memorable. I think a lot of people imitated. Yeah, it was. And it's funny you said the Dodgers, uh, Cody, because it when uh, – I think it was when uh, Sosa beat – or uh, tied the tied McGuire. I guess it, I think it was against the Dodgers 
if I'm not well, mistaken. Well, I know McGuire's opening day homer was against Ramon Martinez, Pedro's brother. And that probably went 480 feet. <laughs> and all these videos are coming out now, the home run derbies that followed the 1998 season. Sammy Sosa hit six of his home runs in round one at the Brewers ballpark, 480 or farther. <laughs> Insane. But I'm going to go back to my Griffey point. Imagine Ken Griffey Jr., and I love him because he didn't take steroids. I think he grew up in with, obviously, Ken Sr. playing on the Big Red Machine in the 70s when the Reds were winning things, and he didn't want to cheat the game. But imagine Ken Griffey Jr. on steroids, hit 56 that season. How many homers does Ken Griffey Jr. hit if he's righted up? 65. Yeah, it's got to be somewhere around there. 65? No, 65, he said. Okay. I think his swing is so natural, and if he were to bulk up, it could affect that. Mark McGuire's is more of like a stout power swing, but Griffey had like the natural, and everyone knows that swing. It's like probably the prettiest swing to ever exist in baseball. I think if you put on way too much weight, you're going to um, mess up that. That swing, yeah. I've actually. And I'll say this. Obviously, 1998, Maguire Sosa have their thing, and it's common knowledge out there today. Dan Patrick brought it up this week that he knows of a source that in Orlando in the offseason the next year Barry Bonds was with a couple of people and Barry Bonds was disgusted at the fanfare that McGuire and Sosa were getting during the 1998 season that Barry Bonds said you know what just watch what happens when you get roided up. And Bonds, by all accounts, stole 500 bases before he took steroids, was hitting bombs, and he L1, he hit 73. So these guys kind of started the whole thing, and I think that's why a lot of people don't give them the credit. I personally think a lot of people should be in the Hall of Fame before these guys. I know Ron's a big one in saying these guys saved baseball. Yes, they did. A lot of people got rocked back because of the home run race, but – Man, did they start uh, kind of like a trickle-down effect. Everyone started to take after that because how can you compete with these guys if you're not on the same shit? Yeah, and I mean, to that point, it started – what we said earlier, it wasn't regulated. So, you know, of course, if there's no rules, then it's not cheating, right? You're not, you're not looking at it as in, hey, I'm cheating. It's just saying, hey, that guy's getting an advantage by taking this. Why am I not? Yeah. And everyone thinks, oh, this home run record might not get broken for a while. But if you look at like a Civil War soldier's outfit or like a World War II, it's like an extra small. So like people are growing, getting bigger, faster, stronger. And I just think, you know, one day, you know, the home run record's going to be caught. But I don't, but I don't even know because my brother brought that up too. He said, like, who's even got close? Like Roger Maris, even if they did put an asterisk on McGuire, which maybe they should. Because it'll make things more interesting because in 2017, John Carlos Stanton won the MVP and Stanton had 58. And that'll bring all the attention to baseball. Imagine that if the record was still 61 and Stanton's racing for it. Because right now it's 73 with Bonds and I'm not sure who could get it. Bellinger won the MVP last year with 47. Like at what point? I don't I don't know, man. I don't know. And it's a shame. That's what, that's what the big... I, I've come around on the whole steroid thing. It's the museum is a history of baseball. You have to explain the history of baseball. You can't just exclude 20 years or whatever it was, 15 years of steroids. And it, it's, 
it would bring so much if that record was still 61 because obviously people still get kind of close. Yeah. Um, well, and the thing about Barry Bonds is it's like almost won every other game. <laughs> so that's almost. Well, unfeasible. what's crazy, what's crazy though, McGuire holds the record for home, home runs per at bat. Like I sent that stat and I don't that's know if cool. you guys saw it in the, in the group chat. Uh, Ryan Spader on Twitter always throws out the best stats. I think Barry Bonds could go 216 for 216, 216 homers, and he would still be behind Mark McGuire for homers per at-bat, which I don't even – that doesn't even make sense, and I probably am getting it wrong, but I'll post it on my uh, 10 after 7 Instagram after this because it's an insane stat, and I'm pretty sure it's true. McGuire homered every one point something at-bat. Insane. Insane. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I was just looking right now after the juicing era. I think Carlos Gian Stan, Stan uh, 59 home runs. Wait, what he hit. wait, you just said Carlos Gian. <laughs> I don't even know if you even botched that name so bad. <laughs> like Pete Alonso hit 53 last year. He kind of has the same build as Mark McGuire as a rookie. So Yeah, that's true. So uh, I'll ask you guys. You guys are baseball fans, but I think you guys are more purists with me than Eric Morales and Devin Roll and those guys who watched this thing and said, oh, it was so trash. That's because you guys didn't grow up baseball fans. And we did. So would you guys be for steroids? Because I would not be. Personally, I I think it did do so much damage to the game. And I like it pure. They're probably still on stuff, but they're not on that stuff. Here's what I would say. I would say I'm not for steroids in the, in the current era. But I, I don't think you could point the finger at the people back in the 90s, early 2000s, and say, shame on you. Baseball needs to disown you because, like we said before, it wasn't regulated. So you can't you can't drop the hammer on people when there's no rule in place. Yeah, and a good point that you bring up. Bud Seeley, the commissioner during that time, just got inducted to the Hall of Fame last year. So why is Bud Seeley in the Hall of Fame, who obviously turned a blind eye to all of this? And Barry Bonds and Clemens right now are going on their last year to get inducted, and that guy's in, and those guys aren't. Like, come on, really? And I was I first my stance was always. They shouldn't get honored with the highest honor in all of baseball and have that speech on Hall of Fame weekend. But I love speeches. And to hear Barry Bonds have his 30 minutes up there and Roger Clemens have their 30 minutes up there, if they even bring it up or not, that would be something to see. Yeah, and Barry Bonds is an asshole. But compared to, like, Sammy McGuire, when he – they, everyone nowadays looks at these guys like they're criminals for taking steroids and they're actually decent just by watching the doc they're like decent good-hearted people so it kind of makes them out as these villains when in reality you know they're pretty good people and mcguire has taken the other side on it like mcguire straight up in the documentary said yeah i regret it wish i never did it which is why he's back in baseball sammy on the other hand you can't fault him i already said it it wasn't regulated. Why should I apologize to the Chicago Cubs? Let's meet in the middle. Bring me back. Why are you going to put all the blame on me? No finger pointing. I agree with both of you guys. There needs to be a middle ground here. And yes, finger pointing should not be directed at two guys single-handedly. Yep, 100%. All right. So I got I got one thing, Cody, and to bring us into our next topic here. There, there was one quote in that documentary 
that I think per- that fits perfectly into this time with MLB trying to figure out are they going to play the owners. There was a there's a quote in the beginning that says it was America's game, but now it's a bank's game. And I thought that quote was so good to to today. Uh, looking at what's going on, uh, that's what struck me. Okay, let's so let's get into the the baseball talk right now. So the latest. Uh, Rob Manfred met with Tony Clark yesterday and by all the reports out there, it was a good conversation. They're moving in the right direction. So the owners sent the proposal 60 games full prorated. And there was reports out there that said, Hey, they're close to getting a deal done. It turns out they're not. I think the players want more games. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah. It's been ugly. It's been ugly. It should oh. be in the public, but it is. I'll jump in on that, what, what I think is wrong. The players want more games. I, I don't know exactly the details, but something about 60 games is $1.5 billion that's collectively throughout to distribute. I think if you go over 60 games in the contract, it, if, the, if the dollar threshold is over 1.5, there's a whole nother aspect of the contract that needs to be uh, honored by the owners and the um yeah on the owners so i think that's why they're trying to make it a 60 game season is because they don't want to pay pay out more and 60 games is where like we already heard manfred could put in a 50 game season and that's why the players were tweeting out when and where tell us we're ready and the owners just won't come off that 1.5 that you mentioned the last proposal they sent was the same exact collective earnings for these players 1.5 and you've kind of, I mean, we, me and you have had discussions in the DMs. You've been sliding in mine, and I'm like, Ron, hey, easy on the DMs. <laughs> You're saying, hey, the players need to come come together and play, man. Baseball needs to be on TV. The fans need these guys. And I will never agree with the owners. And I, I think you're you're starting to come around. I think you are. I am starting to come around. I just think that in this time with people, so many people on unemployment, losing their jobs, I think people need an escape. They need something to watch. They need something to take their mind off. Hey, what's tomorrow going to bring, right? And so these players are making millions of dollars. I think I sent you the lowest, the minimum uh, payment for uh, MLB players, like a hundred and. What was it? I think it was like $150,000 or something like that. Yeah. Maybe it was a little more. But if you do the price reduction, they'll still be making six figures just at 100 k Yeah, but so, that's when we're talking about the millions and 100 k But Forbes came out with the 2020 listings of all the MLB teams, and the only team making under a billion dollars is the Florida Marlins. And so, I, told, I told you this recently, that the owners can make this money back. They bought into these teams because – Listen, they have all the money in the world. If we had all the money in the world, what would we do? We would say, yes, let's buy a sports team. Let's absolutely huh. buy yeah, a franchise. That would be sick. <laughs> yeah, it would be the number one thing on our list. And they, they could get it back. And I, uh, Carabas from Barstool, starting nine podcasts, baseball podcasts on their platform, phenomenal. He said, why don't you guys just defer the money? If you don't have the money to pay us now, pay us down the road. Just agree to that. Slowly, what's your take on the whole thing? I agree. I wish they would like live broadcast these negotiations so we can see what each side's arguing. Because as common folk, we can't really. Well, well shit, it's already out in the public. I want to hear like the behind the scenes, like what this one point five is, like why is 
you know, the owners being so, you know, all that stuff. But one, yeah, what you're talking about is that, you know, for the MLB team valuations from the pat from a decade ago, every team has doubled in value. Most tripled Yankees went from 1.8 billion to 4.6. So that's triple. They're making a lot of money just on by um, investing early and over time, uh, the value appreciating. So once you said that, I kind of looked it up and I'm like, damn, maybe these owners really do. And think about how much money they've already cut. There's 40 minor league teams that are out of business, like minor leagues during this entire pandemic, the minor leagues are getting crushed. And that's a staple for baseball. So many teams are out of business. They won't even exist anymore. And then the MLB draft happens and they cut it down from 40 rounds to five rounds and then cut it out to, if you're an undrafted guy from the draft, you could cap it out at $20,000. So they're already cutting money. But the guys that are doing the job on the field, they're trying to even take more money back. And that's what I don't get. But I'll say one thing. This is where I've come around. I listened to that starting nine podcast last night. And they had Cole Tucker on from the Pittsburgh Pirates and Scott Kingery from the Philadelphia Phillies. And I said this on last week's podcast with Kyle. I said 50 games would be a fucking joke. But Kingery said, 50 games, we'll play it. Like, if that's what it takes, if Rob Manfred puts it down, says 50 games, we're playing, tell us where. Scott Kingery made a good point. He said, the dugouts will be more lively. Like, every game matters. We'll be jumping out of the dugouts every single home run. Every game matters. Every team has a chance. And think about college baseball. I watch college baseball all the time. I'm probably one of the few. It's a different game because they have shorter amount of they have a shorter season and every game counts. So when a guy hits a leadoff double in the first inning and the uh, number two hitter maybe flies out, you know what the number three hitter in their lineup's doing? He's laying down a sacrifice bunt. He's bringing back small ball because that run runs are coming at a minimum. And you have to get that run in from second base. So I think it changes the whole game. And after Scott Kingery saying that, I'm all for the four games. Will it be a legit season? No. Will it be exciting? Hell fucking yes. Okay, so get us baseball. Because I was on the other side saying, if we play 50, don't even play. But I'm on the other side now. Hearing the players say it, I'm in. I couldn't agree more, dude. I I, I just want, want baseball back. I just... Especially the last three seasons, being a Dodger fan, it's been it's been disappointing, but it's been the most exciting, I don't know, three years of my life as a Dodger fan, right? It's just, it's been nothing. We haven't gotten that close in, since 88, pretty much, or pretty much in my lifetime, at least. And just seeing those three seasons, it's just the excitement that I got. At one point last year, I found myself thinking, man, do I like the Dodgers more than I like the Packers? Because I was so invested in in the playoff baseball and the World Series last year for the last two years, you know, and think about, I, I, that that thought came across. Think about how many beers on our Snapchat group chat we were chugging every inning to get a rally chugging. You can't take those back. You cannot yeah. take those back. I do love yeah. the fact that every game's going to matter. It's kind of like growing up, you know, we only had 11, 12 games, so every game matter, you know. <laughs> The way you play the yeah. game and the passion, you know, everyone's up on the bench. When you have 162, it's like no one can really calculate what this one game is going to matter down the road. But it's a marathon. It's like what what uh, McGuire and so, well, pretty much McGuire said it in the documentary, right? Yeah, it's easy to get to get through the first half. It's the last half of the season that's the that's the real struggle. I'd watch more games if it was 60 game season. Yeah, because you'd be like, oh. The, 
we need this game for playoffs. It's it's only like twenty games in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would be cool. We need it, especially with the NBA, NFL is going to be around. It would be awesome. It would probably be, think about it. I mean, we would be telling our kids about it one day when what was like the most iconic season. It's like the Lakers were going for a championship in the same month that the Dodgers were going for a championship. That the NFL is playing. Like, that's the thing about this whole thing, too, is we could have three major sports in America playing at the same time. All important games. All important games. It's the craziest thing. I was going to say that. Like, this could be, given everything that's happened this year, this could be one of the most exciting sports uh, seasons. Ooh, uh, so, so, let me let, so let me lay it out for you. So the NBA is supposed to end October 12th. Lakers are in the conference finals probably in September. The Packers got a Sunday night game against the Vikings. Big game. I know it's early in the season, but big game. But the Dodgers also are two games out of a playoff spot. All games on primetime. Which one are you watching? Packers, I'm, Dodgers, I'm, getting, I'm pulling my three TVs into my living room, Woo! hooking up my 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 uh, YouTube TV to all of them and having all three at once. <laughs> and, and what, we have to get it. We have We have to have it. I'm completely on the side of you guys now. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think it's going to be very exciting. I'm going to have four monitors. Yeah, <laughs> maybe five. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, I've already ha- I've already kind of been on that vibe. Just you know, with the gambling route. <laughs> but <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine the gambling scenarios of those games? It's going to be the, all the revenue that they lost with this three months, three and change, whatever it is, is going to be made up. Just here's, watch. Here's something funny, actually, Broncos. Did a partnership with FanDuel, so they're going to start getting some revenue. I saw that. Why don't? Why doesn't every like? Why don't the Dodgers do that? I, I was just about to say that. If the owners want to get that money back, it's not legalized in California. I think it's yeah. State. Yeah, you have to wait to your state. But that would be insane if the owners were just like, okay, let's do it. You guys bet on these games, and we get whatever the percentage is of the money. Let's go. That would that would make back a ton. We all know how degenerate our friends are. Sean, Sean O'Neill right now is probably betting on three of baseball. Go Dragons. Oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the Doosan Bears. Um, yeah, I love that. You know, I'm going to be parlaying the Lakers, Dodgers, Broncos all in one day. <laughs> all, one day. Be- all on the same day. That's Think of unprecedented. the the excitement and the happiness that's going to come back into Americans. Oh, man. Yeah. Bars are going to be outrageous. Yeah, they ever open. But anyways, we're going to talk about the NBA. The bubble is very interesting. I was all for the NBA coming back. I still am all for the NBA coming back. But I'm kind of thinking the players aren't going to be about this bubble. They broke down everything that was going to happen. Shams came out with it. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN came without all the details. They're going to stay at three different hotels, whatever seed you are. I don't. And by the way, a lot of people are shitting on the yacht hotel that the teams that are battling for the eighth seed are going to be staying at. It's probably a great hotel. I don't know why any anyone's shitting on the yacht hotel. I looked Cody, as as a Disney fan, and I'm going to Disney World uh, in November. I've done a lot of research on the hotels. That's one of the premium hotels. Yeah. So I don't know why. I think they're just shitting on them because they're the teams that are probably not going to be there long. But uh, the situation is they're going to have DJs playing, movies playing, 
Uh, they're going to have game rooms where you can play 2K. My initial thoughts were, yeah, that'd be awesome for us who like to play video games and we're now in our late 20s. I was thinking when I'm like 12 years old, there's nothing better than a game room when you go on vacation. But uh, I don't I don't think they're going to be about this. There's already – I read last night. I went in a deep dive. I guess uh, P.J. Tucker for the Houston uh, Rockets got his DMs uh, on blast with a side chick. He was trying to invite to these things. And that's the NBA issue. They want their side chicks to be able to come to these things. And I don't think it's going to happen. And the NBA, the NBA even put a hotline out there that you could rap on any player that you see breaking any of the rules. Actually, um, after a certain date, they're going to allow like 14 to 20, 20 guests per team. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be interesting list to look at. See, uh, can you imagine Jared, you know, like Jared Smith sitting with the team and he was bringing his girls in. It's going to be very interesting, but to that point slowly. So here's a little bit of the schedule. So August 15th is going to be the tournament. August 17th, uh, playoffs begin. And then the 30th is when family and guests arrive. So that's what you're talking about. On August 30th, that's when they have their limited select guests that are allowed to uh, arrive. Yeah, exactly. Decisions. Do you bring your wife or do you bring your side chick? (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's 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 the thing. When I first heard this, I thought it was epic because growing up, the greatest thing when you were age 10 to 15 was going on tournaments and staying at hotels and getting with your boys and just like fucking around so i feel like we would love this you know the only downside is you can't interact with other people in different hotels but it sounded like heaven uh, i'm 100 percent with you slowly i was doing some a deep dive today and i was like dude this is minnesota all over and this yeah is, these are all those tournaments we went to that we literally still talk about today yeah the you minnesota know, trip and Cody, to your point, with them being, you know, kind of, oh, I want to invite my side chick or whatever. This is where a little bit of professionalism comes into play, where I think that they need to put aside that for what two to three months. Uh, three, three and a half. If you if you go the distance, three and a half months is a long time. They think they think <laughs> island fever might be involved. They are actually going to bring bring therapists to this. They have a mental health therapist. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, which is, I mean. I, I would think some of these guys need it. I do think to your guys' point, how cool was it at these tournaments when you were growing up? You finish your game and you stay for the next one. So they yeah, can stay. Cool. They can stay in the stands to watch these games be played. And it would be cool to see these NBA players' reactions to maybe a LeBron dunk. And I mean, think about Kawhi and the Clippers, like their reactions during an entire Laker game. Like yeah, who, I... are they, who are they rooting for in the stands? That's that's a good point that you bring up, Cody. But I'm thinking the opposite a little bit differently. Is they're going to be there scouting in person? Yeah, so sure. the the strategic aspect of this tournament is going to be so much different than watching film. It's going to be real time. I think it's going to add a whole different that's competitive great angle. Great point. If I had the 9 a.m. game down at Redondo Sunset, I was there till 5 p.m. You know, just hanging out, <laughs> sticking around, <laughs> watching every game, you know, snack bars, just loading up. Here's the thing. I heard they have, like, private chefs and just a food arena open for each team. Yeah, but, yeah, but it's, it's – This is not going to be, you know, snack bar. They're going to have no, the best No, you thing. think it's, it's Disney chefs, dude. Like, how many corn dogs is fucking J.R. Smith going to be putting down? Yeah. <laughs> Dwight's going to put on the pounds again. 
Yeah. Oh man. It's going to be bad. I, I think it is such an interesting dynamic, but the one point I had music on a couple weeks ago and he brought this up and I said, there's no way they would create this bubble. And then during the conference finals or finals decide, Hey, we're going to go back to our own home arenas because the NFL is playing their games at their home arenas. I don't think so. I think if they're going to go full on with this bubble, they're going to finish out this bubble. Uh, that's a good point. I don't, I don't know how it's going to play out. If, if maybe, I mean, there's still, there's still some things that are, that can be changed. It clearly states that all over the internet. So maybe that's going to be in there. Maybe not. I, I don't know. I don't, I mean, it's, it's going to be epic regardless. Uh, I know we wanted to talk about which teams have an advantage. I don't, I don't think, I think they're all on level playing field. They don't know who's been working out on their team. I know some teams open up their facilities. They're starting to work out, but I think it's really going to decide when you get in there and the games start to play, how you're going to handle these guys playing. Cause some guys are, let's be honest. Some guys haven't been acting like professionals and probably aren't in the best shape when the season starts. Yeah. That's one thing I was reading up on too, Cody. It, it looks like everybody's reporting, um, early uh, june so this month i think they're reporting and then the games or maybe it's july 1st they have about a month to uh practice there's individual practices that are allowed for like two weeks and then they travel to orlando and then they can do team practices for two weeks and then they have four i think i forget how many scrimmages they get a certain amount of scrimmages and then they go into gameplay so they have a month buffer for these guys to get into basketball shape because it's one thing to be in shape. It's another thing to be in basketball shape. But I thought that was interesting. That's plenty of time. And look at Nikola Jokic. That guy looked like he lost 60 pounds. He slimmed yeah, up. He's looking insane. like a model. Insane. So. I think another thing we should probably touch on, this past weekend, Kyrie Irving came out. He had a call with 80 NBA players, and he thought maybe we shouldn't come back with the – whole movement going on, the protests. And I do want to say, you know, Kyrie's Kyrie's heart's probably in the right place. And him delivering the message probably got, you know, mis- you know, misconstrued because it is Kyrie Irving. He did say the earth was flat a couple of years ago. And he got shitted on this past weekend for saying that. And he's the VP of the Players Association. I don't know how far that'll go. I know two Lakers were on that call. LeBron James was not on the call. And Patrick Beverly tweeted out saying, if LeBron wants to ball, we're going to ball. But I do want to give credit to Kyrie Irving because in this day and age, anything can happen. I think, you know, if, if you're a voice in the NBA, you should be heard. And I think it's correct that he made that statement because a lot of players, I mean, 80 players on that phone call joined and said, yeah, we don't know. But how are we going to keep this movement going when the season starts? So I think that was good to have. Yeah, I'm going to step in here. Um there's there's one thing that when I heard that, I think set aside the whole how Adam Silver handled the China issue, I think that was mishandled. But up until that point, Adam Silver has done everything in his in his will to show the support of not only the NBA players, but as an African-American. You can see they let the, they let the players wear the I can't breathe shirts. Yeah. They let the players express however they wanted to. So to to. To protest basketball, I don't think is a good thing because I think they can. Silver's going to let them use this as a platform to get out whatever message they want. So I, I, I don't think that 
that's a good position. Do you kind of get what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And and like I said, it was Kyrie saying it, so he got trashed. But uh, Avery Bradley was on the call. I thought he made a good point. And he said, listen, like, if we're going to sit out and, we, yeah, we love to play basketball, we would love to be out there, but this game has only gone, gone so far to where it is now because of the African-American player. And that's why we'd be sitting out because listen, you guys don't have a game without us. And I thought Avery saying that cleared up the message a little bit and made it a little bit clearer for a lot of people because this past weekend, Kyrie did take a lot of slack, but I think Avery coming out and saying that was smart. I do agree with you though. Uh, They can do a lot with this platform, especially it's in a bubble. There's going to be media there and I don't know how they're going to use that media, but I think it's up to them how they use that media. Maybe every day in the hotel lobby, they could come down and have a conversation with Adrian Wojnarowski and spread that message, continue to spread that message. It's literally their own bubble to do whatever the heck they want. And Adam Silver is going to let them do it. He's the best commissioner we have. Yeah. And one other thing to add, all eyes are going to be on the NBA. Yeah. That's just it. Everybody's going to be watching. So you want to get your message out. This is the opportunity. Exactly. Slow. How do you feel about it? Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, the, ESPN has nothing else. The Sports Center has nothing else to talk about or air. You know, there's going to be so much downtime in between games. Cameras are going to be all on them. Why not use that platform to uh, affect change? Um, I totally agree with the points you guys are saying. But for Ky- obviously for Kyrie to come out and say it because he can't play in the tournament kind of seemed like yeah there was like another reason. And his team, the Nets, if they had him and KD, they'd be probably better. You know, yeah, hundred um, percent. Probably kind of eats at him that he's not able to play with his teammates. Yeah. So I want to end this podcast the right way. All right, boys. 10 years to the day, June 17th, 2010, Kobe Bryant wins his fifth NBA championship, defeating the Boston Celtics. I want your guys' greatest Kobe Laker moment from 2010 or the year before. That's that's extremely hard to do. You can't pinpoint it all. I sprung sprung it on you guys, but that's literally, think about it. I always tell people this. We grew up with the best sports time time in our lives because we grew up in high school with the Lakers. This was our senior year of high school when Kobe got his fifth title, and his fourth title was the year before. Prime years of being a sports fan. We would go to your house for a month. We had go to Slowey's house, Serta's house. We were always somewhere we could pinpoint, yeah, that's where I was when Kobe made the shot. That's where I was when Meta World Peace got the ball and made that shot. <laughs> and that's why that's why I love it so much. These these guys had such an impact on our lives. Think about it. Think about if we were Devin Rawl and we're a Kings fan. Didn't have these moments. <laughs> think about it. Yeah. I just think I think all of us at Trevor Neer's house, the last game, 2010, everybody's everybody grabbed one of those bongos and we're all just going nuts on it. Yeah. And then when Meta got the ball, everyone screams, no. no. Yes. <laughs> Unreal, dude. That was literally the moment every single person had as a Laker fan. Yeah, 100%. And listen, man, if there's, I mean, our parents had it with the Celtics-Lakers rivalry back in the day, but it to go to another generation decades later was phenomenal i mean we probably liked kevin garnett when he was on the timberwolves 
But man, did I hate that dude when he was going head to head with Pal Gasol. And I still think to this day, Pal Gasol is underrated, doesn't get as much credit as he deserves, but he showed up like a man in that series because he, he saw it in 08. He got overpowered by those dudes. And in 2010, I think that might've been the year that Kobe brought up the white swan comment to Pal and Pal turned into a freaking beast. Answered the call. And the thing with Kobe, my best memory is um, in law school, I wasn't doing that well, but then near the end of the year, we had this competition and I won it. And the prize was a Kobe Bryant poster. It was the night of his last game. And then he goes on to score 60 points. And I have like a picture with all of it. So just for him to like go out, it was on his retirement tour. No one really thought much of what he was going to do his last game at Staples Center. And he balled out just like good old Kobe. If you do, if you do anything, if you grow up and do anything in LA, I think Bill Plashy wrote the article. I saved the uh, quote from the article. I can pull it up and just look weird on YouTube, but uh, it's one of the best quotes I've ever seen because we all took that death so hard. One, I mean, probably you guys can agree the hardest death you've ever took by an athlete, right? Yeah, no doubt. And uh, damn it, if I could just pull this up in a timely matter. And here it is. Bill Plashy, on your best days, the days you landed a big account or aced a big test or just survived a battle with traffic, you felt like Kobe. You were Kobe. And in the end, as he retired into a life of movies and books and coaching Gianna's basketball team, he was us. Exactly. Exactly how I felt in my story. Incredible. So that's how we can end. But also, we have a fantasy league, and I want you guys to each call out one of these MFers in our leagues because a lot of trash is being talked. So please do call out whoever you want to call out. Maybe they'll come on the podcast to dispute it. Ron or me first? Uh, whoever's, whoever's spilling up to it. I'll call out the legend of our league. The guy who won three rings in Dynasty before anyone else, Eric Morales, who's gone cold since all of his keepers have started uh, breaking down. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna he, take that hard. But he's I gonna be fifty. Caller. No, he's gonna be sixty years old. Saying still one back to back. Still we, one back to back. Yeah, we have that. We have that meme in our in our account. So. Yeah, it's there. <laughs> Ron, I'm gonna I'm gonna call out Luke Trudnowski. <laughs> The kid needs to get on the pod here. He's too busy crunching numbers. I feel like it'd be good for him to talk sports. And he puts in all this statistical accounting analysis into his players and his budget, and it never pans out. Yeah, if that guy comes up, if that guy comes to the draft with one more cheat sheet and doesn't win a title, <laughs> he's out of he's out of the league. I'm gonna call out. I'm gonna call out mystery relevant, Sean O'Neill. Who smell? Yeah, he, he may or may not show up to the draft. I don't know at this point, but, I mean, put your phone down, stop betting on Korean baseball, and stop drafting Ravens players because you think they're going to be good. Do a deep dive on who's good in college football coming up. Get a couple of cheap keepers instead of spending $100 on Saquon and being burned years down the road. Come on, O'Neal, do something. <laughs> he was so close last year, too. He had a good team. Yeah, I think he pulled the Ron Clark. If people don't know, Ron hey, the Clark to both, we're in two leagues, and it's the Ron Clark special. When you lose both championships in the same day, 
and his butt buddy, Sean O'Neill, <laughs> in his honor, did it last year. Incredible. <laughs> I taught him well. You did teach him well. I want to thank you guys for coming on. Great podcast. You guys got to come on again. That was awesome. Of course, Sam. Anytime. Epic. All right. See you guys soon, buddy. Later. And there you have it, a great podcast with my buddies Ronnie Clark and Kyle Slowey. I want to thank them again for coming on. Thank you guys for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at 10 after 7 and on the Instagram at 10 underscore after underscore 7. Hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. I'm out. Woo! Go Dodgers.